How's everyone doing? Good. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9, Colossians 2. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather as brothers and sisters and worship you, our great God. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us, for it is in him that we have life. Lord, we pray for the churches in St. Charles County. They continue to be faithful to you. They continue to preach a gospel that is truthful, Lord. And we pray for those that aren't doing that, that they would repent. You'd be gracious, Lord. Show them the truth. Show them the error of their ways. They would repent, get right with you, and stand firm on your word, Lord, and preach a true gospel. Lord, we ask now as we look into your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. Fill us with your spirit to receive from you what you have for us today. Father, we pray your blessing upon our children. We ask that each one of them, every family represented here, each child would come to know you in a real and a powerful way. They would know that you are the one true God, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. They would repent of their sins and trust. Trust in you and the finished work of your son. We pray you'd be gracious to do that. Do that in your time, Lord, but save them, save them, save them, we ask, for your glory. Amen. All right, when I say the word politician, what, what adjectives come to your mind? <laughs> Can't say it in church. <laughs> Everyone's laughing, right? No one wants to say any adjectives. <clears throat> Why is that? Because I think we believe, uh, many people believe that many politicians, it seems like, are corrupt. And we've seen the corruption in politics. There's also another profession that seems to get um, a pretty bad rap, and that's attorneys, um, which my dad was one of them. And... Um, <clears throat> And he loved the attorney jokes, so I always had a new joke for him. Uh, and it's good to be able to laugh, laugh at yourself and, and laugh at your profession uh, and some of the caricatures of it. But many politicians are corrupt. And I think if, if you follow the news, and I don't necessarily recommend you do, um, but if you follow the news, it can, it can seem odd that there's so many cases of corrupt. I mean, even this past week, I read of, of a case 
of some state representative, and he's going to prison for years because he misused and mismanaged um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think the thing is, is that in politics, um, they just get exposed more readily because they're more heavily scrutinized. And so they're kind of more under the magnifying glass, and the other party is always looking for a reason, both sides, uh, to have them step down. Here's the thing. The corrupt heart was already present in them. So hearts don't become corrupt. Hearts are corrupt. And people just act on that corruption. For some it takes years, some decades, but we should expect to find corruption in unregenerate hearts. That should not surprise us. What happens is people have the opportunity, and some people have more of an opportunity to act on that corruption. So they're given that opportunity, and what do people do? Sometimes they seize that opportunity, and they take it. But here's the thing. Don't think that that same corruption doesn't happen in the profession that you're involved in. Because it does. If you're dealing with sinners, there will be corruption, there will be sin, there will be deviousness of all sorts. Um, you might just not hear about it. In politics, it makes the news. But um, if you're at a private company and one of your coworkers has been embezzling tens of thousands of dollars and you get to work one day and they're not there, um, for HR reasons and probably other reasons, they can't even tell you that sometimes. And so they're just gone. Much of it goes unreported. Sometimes the company itself doesn't deal with it because of concerns about lawsuits and the amount of money it would take. Bottom line is, hearts are corrupt. Only one thing, brothers and sisters, only one thing can change that corruption, and that's the blood of Jesus. That's what it takes. Only one thing and one thing alone, our precious Savior shedding his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, sinful man is more than willing to do sinful things. Sometimes it's thoughts, sometimes it's words, sometimes it's actions. I remember working uh, one of my first jobs. I was working at a hardware store, and the, they had a really stringent policy that uh, only a few people could do anything with the cash register. And I didn't totally understand it at the time, but it made a lot, a lot of sense. And one day they fired a lady, because, and she was one of the few that was able to access the cash register, because the cash register was short, and they were able to pin it back on her. And that was the day I was thankful that I didn't have anything to do with the cash register. <laughs> right? I mean, they had a policy in place, but it allowed them to keep that, that, uh, the suspects to a, to a minimum, and they were able to figure that out. So, I mean, it, it's not a matter of if people in general will cheat and steal. The question is, how much will people cheat and steal? Now, that's not the way it should be. Not at all. Definitely not among believers. But it is the way it is. If, if we're going to have sin in this world, which we do, then we're going to have sinful people and we're going to have sinful actions. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Christ has done for us because what he does is he takes sinners and he takes corrupt hearts and he changes them. He grants them salvation. And he, he does much more than that, which is what we're going to see today and in the coming weeks. But let me just caution us at the outset where we need to be as believers. Because there's different approaches that we can take when we come to the scriptures. 
And there's probably three different key words we could use. One would be being anthropocentric. That just means man-centered. It's the Greek word anthropos, man. So anthropocentric, man-centered. And so sometimes when we're having our quiet time, when we're reading the word, even when we're praying, actually, but we can, if we're not careful, if we approach the scriptures where it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, well, that's man-centered. And that's going to end up uh, getting us into dangerous places. When we come to the scriptures, we want to come to open hearts with open hearts. And what we see when you read every single page of the scripture is there's a theocentrism where God is center, so theocentric, but also Christocentric, Christ is at the center. And so we have the Godhead on every single page of Scripture, and he is the one who's crying out, I am the Lord, and I am in charge, and you must bow down to me and submit to me. And we see on some pages we are commanded very strong things, and we're given forceful commands of what God wants us to do for him. Other pages we see and um, read about the amazingness and exaltation of who Jesus is and who the Father is and who the Spirit is. But every single page drips with this Christocentric and theocentric nature of the scriptures. Now, you don't always see that. You don't always see that if you don't have your spiritual eyes on. You don't always see that if you're not walking in the spirit. And so when we look to what God's trying to do in this world, we have to make sure we're looking at it through his lens. It has to be his lens. Same thing with how, even when we think about how God looks at us. It, it has to be Christocentric and theocentric. If we start um, using negative terms about ourselves, all sorts of different adjectives, maybe those same adjectives we'd use for politicians, we'd use for ourselves at times, but that's not of Christ. That's not of God. What he wants is to paint a picture of what the beauty of his children are. And it's, a, and, and it's an amazing picture. That's what we're getting uh, some pieces of today in the book of Colossians of what we're looking at with what Christ has done for us. But think about this. A man-centered approach ends up with man-centered things. So people want heaven on earth. Un unbelievers want heaven on earth. The new age people want heaven on earth. Everybody wants heaven on earth. They want utopia but they want it without God. It's very anthropocentric. It's very man-centered. They want peace on earth, but it's not because Jesus came to bring that peace. No, that's not why. They want peace on earth without any hint of deity. Well, if you want peace, you need the one who brings the peace. Jesus. Luke 2, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, so who's bringing the peace? I mean, Jesus is, is bringing it. He's ushering it in. We get glimpses of it, and then he's going to fully usher it in someday in his new kingdom. Think about the theocentric nature of the scriptures. How do the scriptures begin? In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. What does John remind us in, in, in his gospel? How does the gospel of John begin? In the beginning was the word. Theocentric and Christocentric. Everything is centered around the Godhead. So when we get to verse, t uh, verse 10 here, we back up in verse 9. 
because that is what helps us understand verse 10. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and basically everything that follows after that is because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Starting in verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Brothers and sisters, we look to be fulfilled in all sorts of things in all sorts of ways. But the truth is, we only have real fullness in Christ alone. We want to talk about satisfaction that comes from Christ alone. Uh, there is an intentional and, and um, quite intent focus on Christ in this verse as the proper subject who can bring about the true fulfillment. Notice the passive nature of the verb being used here in verse 10. You have been filled. So it's something that is done to you, but who is it done by? It's done by the Father in Jesus. You have been filled in him. Who's doing the filling? None other than God himself. And we have to choose which way we're going to go. Because Paul tells us earlier, in verse 8, we can go according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits, or we can go according to Christ. So which one will it be for us? Because the Christocentric emphasis is what is being talked about here. We have to throw off the elemental spirits, we have to throw off the human tradition, and it has to be all about Christ. Christ has to be at the center. Listen, it, it, he can't be on the edge. He can't be on the periphery, but he has to be at the dead center. He can't be tucked away in your back pocket. He can't just be in your Bible app. He can't just be hanging around your neck on a chain. But he has to be at the center of your life. He has to be at the front of your life. There can be no other option. Christ in Christ alone. That was one of the cries of the Reformation, right? Sola Christus, Christ alone. And here's the thing. Christ and Christ alone can meet our deepest needs. That's a fact. So you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling alone, you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling angry, you're feeling frustrated. Christ can deal with that. And if that's you and that's where you're at, brothers and sisters, what you need to do is you need to get alone with Jesus and spend some time with him and let him minister to your soul. He can meet those needs. He can deal with those hurts. He can deal with all of those negative things that are like the weeds. And he can give you the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Let him minister to your soul. You have everything you need in Christ. Everything. So find your satisfaction in him. So why, why are we filled in him? Well, look back at verse 7. We're filled in him because, verse 7, we're rooted, we're built up, and we're established in the faith. Again, who does this rooting and establishing and building up? It's God. Your heavenly Father, the one who loves you, the one who adopted you into his family, this is what he's doing for you. On and on and on and on. And, and a lot of times we just water our, our uh, salvation down to what God has done, just, you know, we're forgiven of our sins. And that's great and that's beautiful. Uh, but there's so much more. All these big words that don't always get uh, proper definitions. I mean, God has done those things. Justification, sanctification, regeneration, Jesus was the propitiation. Here, but what's happening? This is God's work. So our true life, if we want to walk, if we want to walk 
with God, our true life consists in union with Jesus. That's why all through Colossians, all through most of the books of the New Testament, you'll hear this phrase, it's just really short, in Christ. In Christ. And most of the time it's talking about our union with him. So we get verses, and we'll probably talk about it, uh, if not today, next week. But Galatians 2.20, one of the first ver verses I memorized. Anybody know it? Laura, you know it? Yeah. So, I've been crucified with Christ. We get this imagery. I mean, that's what we're being told. Crucified with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. So we get this imagery given. Christ is on the cross. We're there with him. We've been crucified with Christ. And then, I just love what it continues to say. I no longer live. I no longer live. In the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our union... Our true life consists in our union with, with Jesus. And so that applies. That applies to everybody. Everybody. That implies, applies to moms. That applies to dads. That applies to sons. That applies to daughters. That applies to husbands. That applies to wives. All across the spectrum. Have I covered everybody? All right. Everyone's a son or daughter, so I did cover you. <clears throat> and let me just speak to the young men for a moment. Married or unmarried. You are more than a walking testosterone time bomb. Okay? <laughs> and so you need to grow up. And you need to do what 1 Corinthians says. Act like men. And listen, it, it's hard to lead a family if, if you're not led by Christ. So if you're not, if you're not in union with Christ, if you're not uh, walking with him, if these things aren't true of you, if you're not rooted and established and built up, it's hard to lead a fed family. It's hard to establish a family. If you aren't Christ-centered, it's hard to walk in love towards your children, towards your spouse, if you aren't loving your Savior. So what you need to do, young men, is you need to throw off whatever hinders. Hebrews 12. Whatever hinders, you need to throw it off. And you need to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Just jump one chapter ahead in Colossians. Go to chapter 3. He says in verse 12, put on. Now if you want to do a little English uh, concordance study, just go home today. Don't do it right now. But just put in, uh, put on, and see all the different verses that pop up in the New Testament that talk about it. We'll probably look at it sometime, but it's kind of cool. But here it says, put on, because we're told to put on different things. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on, there it is again, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So young men and everyone, but young men, this is what you should put on. This is what you should be known for. This should be characteristic of who you are. Compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and above all, love. Listen, brothers and sisters, your fullness, because that's what it's talking about back in Colossians 2. You've been filled in him. So your fullness comes from Jesus' fullness. Okay, you can't, if Jesus wasn't the fullness of deity, then you couldn't be filled. That's really what it's saying here. So your fullness depends on him. In other words, you can be fulfilled because Christ is the fullness of deity. Because Christ is God, you can be satiated. You can be satisfied. Look at John chapter 1. Are y'all there? John 1, verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received, what did we, we receive? Grace upon grace. Hey, we, what, how, how do we receive the grace? It's from Jesus, but it's from, from where? His fullness. And I like how it says grace upon grace. It's not like, oh, we've received grace. That's true. But it's grace upon grace upon grace upon I mean, a whole lot of grace. And guess what? We need it. A whole lot of grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. This is a, a prayer that Paul's praying, and, and it's sort of lengthy, so we'll read it all so we just get the context. Starting in verse 14, chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's his prayer. Filled, all of that leads to, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you filled with all the fullness of God? Well, you should want to be. You should want to be. He goes on one chapter later, Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But that, I mean, back to verse 11, so he gives these different offices. Why? To build up the saints and equip them for the work of ministry. Why? So that we all, everyone, every single person, every single believer 
we all, the church united, we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, as, as everyone is doing their part in ministering, then this is the result. Until we all attain to the unity, we're working toward these things. We're building up the body of Christ. You're building up the body of Christ. I'm building up the body of Christ. We're all building up the body of Christ. And what, what are we working towards? We're attaining the unity of faith, verse 13, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Working what? Towards a mature manhood. We want to be mature in the faith. And where does that lead? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We want the fullness of Christ. We want the fullness of Christ. So if you want the fullness of Christ, then you do something about it. Listen, because we are filled, we can be what God designed us to be. We can be, have these different offices of God, as God has assigned. We can be equipped as saints with the different spiritual giftings that the Lord has given us to minister to others in the body, to further his kingdom, to build up his kingdom. These are the effects of Christ's work in you. Listen, the hands that give heavenly blessings have nails driven through them. They're Jesus. Jesus' hands. And listen, if you think of, you know, you rescue someone from, uh, you know, firefighters, they do amazing, awesome work. They pull people, one of their jobs, pull people out of burning buildings. And occasionally you see something on the news that's some drastic, crazy story and the, and the fireman is the hero because he saves someone from, from the fire. Well, listen, Jesus didn't just save us from the fire and rescue us. Yes, he did that. But he did so much more than that. You know, it's like he put new clothes on us. He, he moves us into a new house, his house. And he gives us the finest foods. And, and we dine at his table. We dine with him. And, I mean, and, and that's just the food and the dwelling. Jesus gives us so much more. So much more. And a lot of times we just, we just water things down. And what's our response sometimes to these blessings? All these things that God has given us and he's blessed people in the church and he's given different offices to equip the saints. And, and what are people's response at times? Well, it's like ecclesiastical food stamps. I didn't come up with that term myself. I wish I did. <clears throat> but it, you're living off the spiritual food that the, that the church gives out. And that's all you're doing. You're just showing up. And you're living off the spiritual food that the church gives out. Now, now you should do that. But, but where's the, the giving back? Where's, where's you? You know, people come. Uh, Proverbs, uh, what is it? Proverbs, I think I got it. Yeah, Proverbs 30, the, the leech has two daughters. You know their names? Give and give, you know. So people show up and they're like, give, 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 give to me, give to me, give to me. That's fine. Sometimes you're at a place, I've been there too, where you're at a place where, I mean, that's kind of the walk where you're at on that particular day, maybe, maybe that particular week, hey, maybe that particular month, who knows, maybe that year. And you're in a place where you're really needing ministry. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your life is characteristic of the leech. And so you got those ecclesiastical food stamps where all you ever do is take, 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 and you never give. You never give anything back. You got treasures to give. You never give. You got time to give. You never give. We're called to be servants. I mean, brothers and sisters, what did Jesus say? The Son of Man came not to what? Be served, right? Came not to be served, but to serve. 
He came not to be served. I, I, I mean, it, hopefully if Jesus showed up right here right now, like we'd be like, what do you need, Jesus? We'll, we'll get it for you. Right? And, but what does he say? As, as you do unto the least of, the me, of these, you do unto me. So yeah, we'd, we'd snap to attention and, and we'd be, if Jesus showed up, we'd be doing whatever he wants, but then he's just like, you can't even give like a cup of cold water to one of these children as you do unto the least of these. So we don't want to be on ecclesiastical food stamps. We want to come and we want to, yes, receive, but we also want to give. How can I minister to others? What can I give to others? That's the attitude that we want to have. So people are like, you know, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to, well, I want to be like Jesus too. Well, stop taking the ecclesiastical food stamps. I mean, start giving of your treasure. Start giving of yourself. Start giving of your time. Start giving of your talents. Wallets can be fat and hearts can be lean. And those should be switched. All this to say, we've just looked at the first, first little bit here in Colossians that we've been filled by Jesus. And this significance here for the believers is we're seeing Christ's supremacy and his exclusivity. It's in, really in a, it's an expansion of chapter 1, verses 15 uh, through, through 20. He's just rephrasing it in a different way for us. And now he's spelling it out hey, this is what it looks like for the believers. This is what it looks like for the children of God. So what does the believer do? He basks in these riches provided by Jesus. He delights in the work that he has done. He thanks his Savior for how good and how gracious he is. He realizes the extent of what he has done, and then he gets on his knees and he praises the Lord. Do you know where this starts for each one of us? Repentance repentance it's, it's, it's really sad <clears throat> I was involved in the church um, in, a, in, a, in the college I grew up in and, and they did not believe that repentance was um, how do I say it they did not believe that the believer needed to have an ongoing attitude of repentance Repentance was for unbelievers, and once you repent, you don't have to repent again. I, I don't know how you get that from the scriptures. <clears throat> we're, we're supposed to be walking in repentance. So 1 Corinthians 1, or sorry, 1 John 1, if we're faithful, or if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins, right? But we got to confess. I mean, that's part of repentance. And even in 1 Peter, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4. Judgment begins with the household of God. So listen, brothers and sisters, if we want the nations to repent, then we have to repent. If we want this nation to repent, then we must first repent. We lead by example we want this nation to humble itself we want it to come back to, to god then we must first humble ourselves what, what is the point in praying lord bring this nation to repentance if we ourselves aren't praying the same thing for ourselves and we're not willing to do that very thing we must walk in humility jesus has done a great work in us 
and now he wants to do a great work through us. But he wants us walking in humility. We're going to find out later <clears throat> that we're supposed to clothe ourselves. Clothe ourselves, Colossians talks about later. Clothe ourselves with humility. Walking in a repentant spirit. We must walk in humility. Jesus has done so much for us. Let us make sure all these blessings that he's given us, one, let's make sure that we're thankful for those things over and over and over again. Have you ever done like something big for someone and you're just like, oh, thanks. I mean, I have. And you're like, huh, that's not cool. Like, you should be as thankful to the magnitude of the person giving it and the, the magnitude of the gift to some extent. Be thankful for all the gifts. But someone gives you this huge a gift. I mean, someone walked in and bought you the, the, uh, the, the, the car of your dreams. How, how thankful would you be? I'm pretty thankful, right? Right? <clears throat> Especially if they paid the taxes on it. Um, well, how much more so with our salvation? How much more so? And Jesus gives and 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 gives. How much more so should we be thankful to the author of our salvation? Walking in that thankfulness, walking in that spirit of humility and repentance before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you <clears throat> for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in us through your son Jesus. Father, we, we want to be <clears throat> a people that are about your business. We want to be a people that are right with you. We want to be a people walking in humility before you. Lord, I pray for people, anyone here, whatever they might need to cast off, whatever is hindering them in their walk with you, they'd cast it aside. Anyone here who needs to get right with you and repent, would do so. Father, continue to mold and shape us. Continue to conform us to the image of your Son. Do this for your own pleasure, for your own glory. Let us be vessels willing to be molded. Have your way with us. Have your way with our families. Let us walk in humility before you for your glory.